Hello, hello. Good morning from New York City. I am super excited about today's episode. I am in conversation with my good buddy, Claudia Dopkin, who is a narrative strategist. And what that means is that she helps leaders tell strategic stories to employees, boards, and clients. In fact, her signature talks, leadership is a language game, says it all. Claudia got her PhD from Harvard in language and culture. And over the past 20 years, she's worked in business strategy in the U.S., Latin America, Asia, and Europe, advising senior executives, lawyers, auditors, and consultants in a wide range of high-stakes interactions. And today, Claudia works with KPMG. So she's an impressive cookie. We had a broad-ranging conversation and talked about everything from framing statements so you're heard to what people get wrong about storytelling. And we also talked about the communications challenges younger people face in the business environment. Claudia is multilingual, of course. She was born in Argentina and moved to America at a very young age. And given her interest in language and culture, she's keenly interested also in legacy stories and has written several books. Fun factoid before I turn to the conversation, Claudia did her dissertation at Harvard in French advertising. I thought that was really cool. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I know I did. Without further ado, here's my friend, Claudia Dopkin. Hello, Claudia. Hello. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. I love hearing about language. I'm fascinated by language myself. So, Claudia, let's start with this. I know you grew up and English was not your first language. How has your early life and having to learn a second language influence your interest or did it influence your interest and fascination with language? Such an important question. I, language is who we are. At four years old, we can speak and communicate and express ourselves and we rule the world as a child with language. And when that's taken away from you at the age of nine, when I came to this country, to New York, and uh, it was at a time when there weren't a lot of Spanish-speaking kids in my class and whatever. So there was a lot of stigma, not an easy time. So I was highly motivated to learn English. And I was young enough to learn English without any accent and without any issues or any trouble. That's not a big deal. And that's not terribly interesting. What is interesting is that when I decided to take French in high school, because I already knew Spanish, I was terrible at it. Now, my degrees and all my studies have been in French. It was that something clicked one day, and it was more about entering into another person's world, into another culture. And that desire to immerse myself in a culture helped me to learn the language. And it's something that stays with me to this day. I love going into another culture and learning other people's ways, even if I don't learn the language. So it's that idea and that desire to lose myself in another culture, in another person's world. There's a rule of thumb that people who learn a language best, this is maybe a folktale, I don't know. I should know this. I'm a linguist by training, but don't know this. Um, that people who learn language best without an accent are those either who are so sure of themselves, they can just pick it all up, soak it in, and they never lose themselves, or those that are just dying to le- lose their old self and their old culture behind and therefore get absorbed by the new ones. So sure. fascinating. I speak Spanish and Italian, and that is really fodder. I have to noodle that a little bit. But let me just ask you, so to finish that question off, are you affirming then that your early experience having to learn another language was part of the connection to language? Absolutely. It is absolutely central to who I am and what I do. I can't think of any other moment in my life. There were other 
traumatic moments, pivotal moments, but it's that sense of being essentially uh, propelled from your comfort zone. And when your language is taken away from you, you are unable to, to be heard, to, especially to be heard. It is absolutely a seminal moment and it has defined who I am and what I do. So, Claudia, one of the things that keeps popping into my mind that I want to talk to you about is this. The other day we were having lunch. You mentioned to me something about young people and their challenges with language. And I don't remember what it is you said, but it stuck with me. I think I mentioned the term digital natives. And it's a concept of people born between certain years. They all have different identities as defined by the experts, whoever they are. What strikes me when I interact with a lot of young people in my work in a large consulting firm across the spectrum of ages, demographics, and professional orientation is that they're far more comfortable in email than speaking up. They're far more comfortable writing or texting or really hiding behind their phone than actually saying, I have something to say and I want to say it, whether it's in a conference situation, a call, or even in a social interaction. So I've made it kind of my mission to share some of the practices that I see every day from the more experienced people, the good things, the bad things, the ugly things, so that these young people who are not used to being face-to-face, who are not used to picking up the phone, a lot of them started working during COVID. They've never had a job before. They don't know what it's like to interact in a business context. It's one of the things that I really enjoy doing, sharing some of the ways that they can show up, feel comfortable, feel confident, and speak, and actually say what's on their mind. But the most important thing is having a point of view, having something to say, which a lot of them don't. Now, it's super interesting and super generous that you do that. A couple of questions I have about that. Are they interested? Oh, my God. They are so thirsty. Number one, because they're so tied to their phones and emails and texting and social media, they are dying for human interaction. They just don't know quite how to engage because the rules of the game, since they've been in their 20s, 30s, and even some of the older digital natives who would now be around 40, they've really grown up with the Internet. And so they're very eager and open to learn two things. One is how can I be heard? How do I, if I'm in the middle of a conference call or if I'm in a meeting and I have something to say and everybody around me is more powerful, has more authority, more experience, and that happens to anybody from 25 to 45 to 55. There's always somebody bigger, somebody who we think is bigger, better, more experienced. What do I say? One of the things that I heard on one of your podcasts, which I share now with young people, is wait. Why am I talking? And it's fabulous because you really have to have an idea. Why are you opening your mouth? Is it just to say, I'm here? Nobody cares, really. People want to hear something new. They want to be inspired. They want to have a different point of view. So if you're going to speak, if a young person is going to speak and be heard, or somebody who is in a position of lower authority, um, they better have something interesting to say. And so why am I talking is one of the tips that I share with a lot of the younger folks. Because they're not used to thinking before they speak. They're used to texting and just saying what's on their mind and posting it and let it go and putting it out there. That doesn't work in a business context. It doesn't work if your objective is to be heard, to be remembered, to be distinguished, to be tapped on the shoulder for the next opportunity, and to just come in with a different point of view. They're not used to speaking up. It's super interesting what you're saying. What I'm hearing you say two different things here. On the one hand, you're saying that they're digital natives and they're 
used to hiding behind email and texting. On the other hand, you're saying that they say whatever whatever's on their mind. So when you say they're eager to learn from you or eager to learn, is it about a lack of confidence or a lack of credibility or the importance of being strategic in how they craft their messages? All of the above. Everybody has things that are holding them back, different triggers, different needs. And it's very situational, right? I think the number one reason that young people are constantly asking for my help and my advice, my training is that nobody invests in them. In a professional services organization, the people are the brand, the people are the business. And everybody invests in the older generations and nobody is looking at the up and coming classes because they may or may not stay. And they give them a lot of technical training so they could churn out the work, but nobody teaches them how to speak. Nobody teaches them how to express themselves. And to me, I think it's sinful to graduate college or graduate anything without knowing how to speak. To, to clarify what I was saying before, you're saying, wait, why am I talking was helpful, which I love that acronym myself. I say that to a lot of people because it invites you to pause and think before you speak, right? So on the one hand, you're saying they speak their mind freely. They just tap it out and they aren't as intentional as you're inviting them to be in the work context, yes. right? But I also heard you say earlier, isn't there a lack of confidence in there as well? Yes, absolutely. And the lack of confidence comes from many things. One is perception that everybody else is more experienced and they know more than you do, particularly for younger women. So lack of confidence is one. And the other one is we're not really used to thinking about, do I have a real point of view? Do I, what I have to say is valuable? And so I ask people to be intentional, but really to think, what change are you trying to cause in the person you're speaking to or the people in the room? If you're trying to change the dialogue, for example, in my job, I have to coach very experienced professionals, very senior leaders on how to pitch the very complex solutions to clients. And they have a definite point of view that they got to go in and they have to explain all the details of their solution. And my perspective is, no, we have to start with where the audience is and what change are you trying to cause? What are their perceptions? What are they thinking about? What do they really need? What are their fears? All of the things. And again, it's not a sales pitch per se. And so how do I do that? How do I take them, you know, from where they are to where they need to be? Why should they listen to me? So I'm very deliberate in the first time I speak, what do I say? How can I be heard? How do I help people take pause? And those are the techniques that I share with young people. I know that attention follows focus. It's something I think about a lot. I love this language you use, framing statements so you're heard. Can you please speak to this? Yes, framing statements so you're heard. In general, I'm saying take a pause, think about what you're going to say, and what you're trying to do is draw attention to your point of view. And attention follows focus. So if you create focus on, for example, this is a trite example, but if you say 99% fat-free or 1% fat, right, there's a difference. It's the same fact, but you're framing it in two different ways. So that's what framing is about. So what I mean about being deliberate when you frame is you're trying to cause change in someone else. Either you're persuading them in a business situation or it's a social cause. And there are different narrative structures depending on the situation. But what you really want to do is cause change in the other. What is the change you're trying to cause? And how are you going to show them another view of the promised land? In essence, that's what you're doing. What is that opportunity that exists or that way of looking at the world that only you have, that only you can see? Because nobody sees the world the way Constance does, right? Nobody sees the way 
the, the world the way I do. And so if I want you to see the world my way, I'm not going to bombard you with, you know, sales pitches and funnel techniques. And I'm going to give you a possibility, a way of looking at something that you've never seen before. And framing is a very good way of doing that. I see what you're saying. In fact, I like what you're saying a lot. When I use the term deliberate language, that's exactly what I was saying. The example that comes up for me in particular was when I was telling the story about this person who was taking a job and they had doubts about how it would be perceived by others. I was guiding them and talking about the fact that it's important how they speak to it. They, we're saying the exact same thing, what they focus on. If they start focusing on the fact that the job has a more reduced or more limited scope of responsibility than their past jobs, that's what people are going to start paying attention to. I, I offer the, the word, the language of possibility. Oh, yeah. I heard you say before that you speak to the language of possibility, the language of power, and the language of concreteness. Tell me what you mean when you say the language of possibility. In a business context, for example, there are times when you need to change whatever process or opportunity, or you're talking to a client, either because there's a, a great deal of risk or there's a great deal of opportunity. Pretty much that sums up everything that we do. When there's great risk, the client already knows where the pain points are. I hate when people start selling things with pain points. They know what the pain is. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the room talking to them. What they want to see is what you see that they don't. Your perspective, based on all the clients and all your experience, where is the possibility? Where's the open door? And when you're talking about risk, it's the same thing. They're going to be winners and they're going to be losers. That's the quintessential investor pitch, right? You want to be one of the winners. There's a lot of risk here. There's a lot of opportunity there, or there's less risk here. Let's go here. And so that is language of possibility, number one, is having a point of view of what is possible and then using concrete language to express those ideas, saying you, saying we, for example, using nouns, saying things like, I am a strategist. I'm not a communication specialist. That's not how I call myself. I'm a narrative strategist. That's what I do. I help people come up with stories for what they need to tell, what they need to share with others. So that is the language of possibility. Being concrete means being very specific. So if you say in a store, can I help you find that top? Yeah, sure. If you say, can I help you find that great top that you're looking for? Much more concrete, much more inviting, much more of giving the person a sense that they're hurt. Oh, I just love that. Thank you so much. Let me ask you one last question. Let's close with this. We were talking about the fact that, you know, this, this word storytelling is everywhere. Everybody's talking about storytelling. It's, it's exasperating. And, you, <laughs> and so say something about storytelling. Like what, in your experience, or what would you say about the word storytelling? The purpose of a story is to help somebody imagine themselves at the center of the story. And that is what we do with language. We help people see themselves at the center of the story. And the way we do that is by using emotional words rather than very abstract words. And we try and evoke emotion because people build a story themselves. I used to freak out when I would hear the word story, but it's really more about being like Yoda. You know, I have this picture of Yoda on top, you know, on the, on the back of Luke. And we have to be like Yoda if we want to tell good stories. We're trying to get the other to do something, to see something in themselves, to do something for us. It's on you but it's not about you. It's on you to make the other be part of the story. The story's not about you. I'm so delighted we finally had this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Thank you. This is great. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Claudia. You know I love messages, so let me hear from you. That's all for now. Until next time, from my heart.
to yours.